All right. Like Tommy said, my name is Fetty, and uh, there's a picture up there. My wife Renee and I. She's right here. And I just want to say, y'all are so blessed to have the Moors here. I love Tommy. He's a dear brother. We had a really great week at Crosswalk a few weeks back with him and Caitlin and Alden and Megan and Chi. Is Chi somewhere in this room? He's downstairs. All right. God bless Chi. Love Chi. And uh, also, uh, I really love and appreciate uh, the founding pastor of Mercy House. Pastor Robert Crumrai, he's a mentor to me. He officiated Renee and I's wedding, actually. And uh, I just want to say, if uh, you don't normally come to Mercy House, and this is your first Sunday, come back next week, all right? You get a better feel for, for the church. So it's just a, a one-off thing. And I will also say I'm a little bit nervous, to be honest, because this was a very convicting sermon to write, even though we fast. I mean, regularly in our house, Renee would just be like, hey, Crosswalk's coming up in a few weeks. Let's fast, like, of course. Last week, she's like, hey, my, my friend's going to see the doctor, and they're trying to get pregnant. We're going to take a day to fast and pray for them. Boom. All right. So it's, it's not out of the ordinary for that to happen in our house, but it's still, it was a very convicting sermon to, to work through. So, yeah, we're in Matthew chapter 6, looking at Jesus' teaching on the topic of fasting. Now, let me just ask the room a question. Who here, you can raise your hand, uh, has fasted this year? done some kind of fast this year. All right, awesome, great. You turn to your neighbor and tell him it's time to fast. It's time to fast. Okay, I'm gonna get you to talk back to me today. I, uh, I grew up in a big fasting culture, so I grew up a part of the Coptic Orthodox Church in Egypt, and we have a big fasting calendar. So at any given time of the year, there's a fast, whether it's for Christmas or for Easter or for St. This or for St. That. And I remember like 10 years ago, it was 2013, I went to visit some family in Europe, and it was during a fast. And I was just there for a weekend, and I thought like, okay, you know, it's one of the fasts that we can't eat meat. So I just thought, you know, it's all right. We have like a couple of modest meals, so some beans and bread, and that's what we do when we're fasting. And I show up at my uncle's house, and I'm telling you, there was a full-on feast. I mean, just bottles of wine, all kinds of shellfish and seafood, and it was almost like the moment we drew boundaries around, hey, like, you can't have this. We were just indulging in some other extreme. And I just, I reflect back on it, I'm like, huh, I wonder if we missed it. And if you're asking a question like, hey, what does it look like to fast? How do you fast correctly and biblically? You know, we're going to answer some of those questions today. And uh, if you didn't grow up in a big fasting culture or fasting is not something that you've practiced regularly in the past, why do we fast? What's the point of fasting? And we're going to look at that question today. So I want to read the passage one more time and pray. But I just want to say my hope and prayer for us this morning is wherever you find yourself today, that your faith would be stirred to seek more of God through fasting and prayer. Matthew 6, 16 to 18. And when you fast, somebody say, when you fast, Do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have already received their reward. But when you fast, somebody say, when you fast, fast. anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Somebody say, he will reward you. Father, we thank you for your word. And I pray in the name of Jesus that your Holy Spirit would just draw near to us right now, open our eyes, uh, custom fit the words of this message to speak to people here this morning, and let your word just find good ground in our hearts, and let it bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. 
we commit these next few moments to you in Jesus' mighty name. And God's beautiful people said, amen, amen. amen. All right, so Sermon on the Mount. Uh, I think the last couple weeks you've looked at giving and praying. And so far, Jesus is teaching on some of the three kind of basic Christian disciplines. And those are the three things that we should let our lives be marked by as followers of Jesus. And so uh, he, he covers prayer, he covers giving, and at the end of chapter 7, he says, when you obey, when you do these things, that's how you'll be building your house on the rock. He says, the person who listens and obeys and does what he hears is like the person who's built their house on the rock. When the rain fell, when the wind blew, when difficulties came, when challenges arose, they were firm, they were steadfast. Why? Uh, obedience essentially protects your life in that way because it gives you a solid foundation when you follow and obey the words of Jesus. So he covers giving at first, and giving is basic. It's, God gave his son Jesus for us. The Father of lights has given us every good and perfect gift, and so we respond back by being generous with the things that God gave us. And then he goes on to prayer uh, that God has initiated in our lives. He's given us his spirit. He's given us his word. And so we respond back to God through prayer. We praise him for who he is. We confess our sin and repent of it. We ask him for what we need and we thank him for his gifts in our lives. And then he gets to fasting. And Jesus expects that his disciples will fast. Now, I want to just say this out the gate. We don't fast in order to be saved. We don't fast in order to twist God's hand into giving us something or to get brownie points with Jesus. No, we're Christians. And Christian fasting is different. Christians fast for the same reason that Christians obey. Because they love God. Because they've been chosen by grace and they've been transformed from the inside out. So Christians want to pray and give and obey and fast. And like I said, Jesus expects that his disciples will fast. In fact, a few chapters later, in Matthew chapter 9, the disciples of John the Baptist go up to Jesus and they say, hey, we fast, the Pharisees fast, how come your disciples don't fast? And Jesus responds and says to them, this is verse 15, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. In other words, he's saying right now, the long-awaited bridegroom of Israel is here. Now, understand, in the Old Testament, God refers to himself as the bridegroom in, in, the, major, in, in the prophets. And he's saying the bridegroom is here. God, eternal God, who created heaven and earth, has entered human history as the man Jesus Christ. He lived the perfect life we can never live. He died the death that we deserve. And he rose from the dead, and he ascended to heaven and sent his spirit to indwell everyone who calls on his name. And Jesus is saying, right now, while Jesus is with us in the flesh, we celebrate. It's not time for mourning. What does he say at the end of verse 15, though? But the time will come when the bridegroom is taken away. When Jesus ascends to heaven, now, sure, he sends us his spirit, but there's still this longing for more of Jesus while we're here in the body. So he says, then his people will fast. Why? Because fasting, while it's associated with mourning and with grief, fasting also expresses longing. It expresses desire. Fasting says, God, I'm hungry for you. Fasting says, I long for God and for the things of God. And sure, Jesus is in us. 
He lives in us now by the power of his Holy Spirit. But we also still long for the day when we're going to see Jesus face to face. Sure, redemption has been accomplished. We look back in history and we see the cross and the empty tomb. Glory to God. But there is still a fullness that's coming when we get new bodies. And, and that's what it's about. It's expressing my longing for what everything else that God has for me. In other words, fasting is for now. It's for the church age. When we get to heaven, it's only feasting. You won't, you won't need to fast because your faith will have become sight. And everything that you've ever wanted or longed for will be yours. And fasting is for now. It's for the time period when things are not yet fully the way that they're supposed to be. When there's ache in your back and pain in your heart. Fasting is how we express our deep longing for God and our dissatisfaction with the world, with its brokenness, and even with our own sin. Now, a couple more kind of introductory introduction thoughts about fasting. You need to understand, this is critical, fasting, like the rest of spiritual disciplines, prayer, Bible reading, is a means of grace. In other words, it's a gift for you in order for you to enjoy and know Jesus more. All right, it's just like Bible reading and prayer and repentance and faith. It's a gift from God. It's a tool given by him in order to sharpen your affections for Jesus and, and help you get clear on what is important and, and express your longing for God in a more intense, focused way. So I just want to say, if, if you're in the room and you feel stagnant in your faith a little bit fast, it could be the jolt that you need. And then the other thought on fasting is, uh, whenever you think about fasting, I want you to think fasting and prayer. All right, somebody say, and prayer. Amen. Fasting and prayer. Anytime we see fasting in scripture, it's always coupled off with prayer. Nobody fasts just for the sake of fasting. I mean, there are a couple outside non-Christian fasting categories for that. You have the Gandhi thing, right? I'm going to fast for political motives. It's called a hunger strike. I won't eat until you give me what I want. That's not what we're talking about. And there is, of course, intermittent fasting, which is all the rage these days for health reasons, for dieting, for losing weight. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about fasting for spiritual purposes, all right? Christian fasting is spiritual. It's about my heart's longing for my true home and, and for things to be the way that God wants them to be. It's about me expressing my hunger and thirst for God and his justice and righteousness to triumph on the earth and his will to be done and his kingdom to come more powerfully. And I'm getting these, by the way, from last week's passage just before this, which is Jesus teaching on prayer. And you see all of scripture kind of informs and interprets one another. The section on praying filters into the section on fasting and, and helps inform it for us. Now, I want to define fasting and then look at some other examples from scripture about fasting. Sound good? All right, great. Let's go. Uh, the Hebrew word for fasting, sum, and the Greek word nischuo, uh, literally, which we translate as fast and fasting, literally mean to abstain from food. All right? So, so technically, that's that's all it is. It's abstaining from food. It's feeling that hunger and, and, and rumble in your belly when you skip a meal or two or several. All right? Fasting is refraining from food for spiritual purposes. Refraining from food 
for spiritual purposes, whether it's one meal or one day or one week, and whether it's for a lost friend that you're praying for to come to Jesus or some immediate need that you have. It's refraining from food for spiritual purposes. That having been said, I came across this quote by Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who's the pastor at uh, Westminster Chapel in London, preacher from another generation. And this is what he says, and I, and I think it's a really important quote uh, for a couple reasons. But he says, fasting, if we conceive of it truly, must not be confined to the question of food and drink. Fasting should really be made to include abstinence from anything which is legitimate in and of itself for the sake of some special spiritual purpose. There are many bodily functions which are right and normal and perfectly legitimate, but which for special peculiar reasons in certain circumstances should be controlled. That is fasting. And I think this is important because some people maybe can't fast or shouldn't fast, whether it's for health reasons or whether you struggle with an eating disorder or the last couple of weeks I was taking antibiotics and I was really frustrated because I had to eat breakfast. Now, I love to eat. Okay, and I especially love to eat breakfast. But I was like, I'm preaching on fasting. I want to fast. And it's just every morning, I'm like, I gotta, I gotta eat something. Like, this is kind of annoying. But I, I like this quote because I think it highlights a couple of really important things. And the first one is this. If for whatever reason you can't eat right now, uh, you can't uh, forego eating for whatever reasons, this does not exclude you. You can still fast in some other way. You can give up something else in your life for a time, for a season, for a number of days or weeks in order to seek God. You can give up something. Maybe it's uh, just dessert. Maybe it's just ice cream or maybe it's meat or maybe it's Netflix or maybe it's football or fantasy football or some hobby that's taking a lot of your time and a lot of your attention or maybe it's social media. You can still give up something that's meaningful to you and have a meaningful and powerful time of seeking God while you're doing it. And just a sidebar, even if you can fast, it's probably good for you to do that every once in a while anyways, to just see if there's something in your life that's kind of sitting on the throne and to just tell it who's boss. And you say, no, Jesus is boss. And you make sure you're not enslaved to this thing, whether it's, you know, binge watching Netflix or YouTube or, you know, whatever it is that you snack on at night mindlessly. And you say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fast from this thing. I'm going to give this thing up for, for a season. But I just want to say, if for whatever reason you can't fast from food, this does not exclude you. You can still have a meaningful time seeking God intentionally when you abstain from something else. And this applies to you just as much. And there is something just really powerful about saying, what I need in my life right now is not more entertainment. It's not more music. It's not another podcast. It's not more noise. I need God. I need the power of God in my life. And so I'm going to just shut down all these, all these things that are competing for my attention, for my affections, and to just seek God. I remember for several years in a row, my younger brother Joe and I would fast, and our fast was no meats, no sweets. And we would do that for the first 40 days of the year. So from January 1st till February 10th or whatever. And it was just a small sacrifice. And a way for us to express and say to God with our actions, God, I love you and I want you more than I want brownies, more than I want ribs. I want you, God. So if you can't abstain from food, this applies just as much to you. And secondly, 
to see from this quote by Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. He highlights that the ultimate issue is actually not about food. It's about your heart. It's not about food. It's about your heart. Food is neutral, right? How many of y'all in here love food? Big foodie, all right. Food is neutral. Food is a gift from God to be received with thanksgiving and to be enjoyed and to be shared and to give God praise and thanks for it. But food can also become an idol, right? When it's got you hooked, it can turn you into a glutton. Now, asceticism has its own problems as well, right? The person who's like maybe taking pride in their own self-control and, you know, it's like, oh, I'm doing really good. And, you know, I look at me, I tithe everything that I have and I fast twice a week. That's what the Pharisee said in Luke chapter 18, and he's not a great example. So I just want to say it can't just be about food. It's about your heart. Paul in Romans 14, 6 sums it up really well. He says, the one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, also abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. In other words, whether I'm eating, I'm, I'm thanking God, my, my praise and my thanksgiving is aimed up at heaven. And whether I'm abstaining, my praise is still aimed up at heaven and my longing and desire for God is expressed through earnest prayer and foregoing food. So it's ultimately about your heart's posture toward God and expressing your need and your desire for more of him. And that's actually how we see fasting playing out in scripture. So let's do a little quick tour of some examples in the Bible. In the Old Testament, uh, you see lots of stories and a, a fasting, uh, a feasting calendar, right? So you have days where God's people are supposed to come together just to remember who God is and what he's done and to celebrate that. But there are also times where God's people seek him in extraordinary ways when they come away in order to fast and say, there's something more important right now than food. And that's our immediate need for God to intervene. So let's look at a few examples. In Nehemiah chapter 1, Nehemiah fasts, and that's kind of the typical fast. It's, it's alone, it's personal, it's private, foregoing food. But he fasts in order to seek vision and help from God. The city of Jerusalem is in ruins. Its uh, gates are destroyed, and, and he needs God to do something and, and to move in him. And so he fasts, and he seeks God, fasting and prayer, and God comes through. He gives him favor with the king, and he opens up a way for him to have his needs provided for so he can go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the walls. So let me ask you this morning, do you need fresh vision from God for your future? Do you need fresh vision from God for what he has for you in that next season of life? Is your heart broken over some issue in the world, whether it's abortion or homelessness? Fast and seek the Lord with fasting and he'll give you direction and he'll give you vision for your future. A few chapters later, in Nehemiah chapter 9, there's another example. The Israelites fast, and this time, they're mourning over their sin. So let me ask you, is there sin in your life? If you have sin in your life, fast. Fast and seek the Lord for freedom and forgiveness and healing, and he will do it. In Psalm 35, 13, David fasts, and he's fasting and praying as an expression of grief and, and longing for God to intervene. He's facing difficulty. He's facing oppression. There's people that are hard to deal with in his life, and God comes through. So let me ask you, are there hard people that are difficult to deal with in your life? Is there oppression in your life? Fast and seek God, and he'll come through for you. I, I remember uh, last year, my, my parents had a tenant in their unit 
who was just an absolute terrible human being, wasn't paying rent for like six months. Cops were showing up at my parents' house all the time. And uh, eventually they, they were like, we need to get this guy out of here. There, there's no peace and he's not paying his rent. So they went to court and they were in court for a while waiting for a court date. And my mom decided to fast and pray. And while she was fasting and praying, she was like, Lord, you are my lawyer. All right, Lord, you are the one who's going to fight for my cause and represent me. You're the judge. We're waiting on a word from you. And I kid you not, a few days before the court trial, they, they got a phone call from their lawyer. And they're like, hey, uh, the judge already passed a sentence. You don't have to go to court. And the guy is going to get evicted. And it was because my mom and my dad fasted and prayed. Y'all, God hears our prayers. In Esther chapter 4, uh, Esther is fasting and she calls on all the Jewish people to join her in a fast. Why? Because there's been a decree that's set against them and they're seeking God for, for mercy and for life and for favor with the king and for this royal king decree to be overturned so that they would be spared. And God comes through. Are you facing an impossible situation in your life? God will come through for you. Seek him with fasting and with prayer. There's another story. My, my, Renee's mom, my mother-in-law, told us this story last night. In the, in the 50s and 60s, uh, they were in Gaza, in Palestine. And it was after the nation of Israel has been formed. And it was uh, in 1967, during the seven-day war with Egypt, they passed a law that all Egyptian foreign nationals had to get evicted out of Israel. And they had like a couple days till a Wednesday to pack their things and leave. And there were lots of Egyptians in Gaza at the time. It's very close to Egypt. And so they started packing their things. And then uh, her mom, so Renee's grandma, was like, you know what? No. God has brought us here for a reason. We're here for ministry. We are here to plant a church and to witness. Let's fast and pray. So they fasted and prayed. And while everybody else was leaving Gaza, all the Egyptian doctors and foreign nationals, they went after fasting and prayer and appealed the decision with the governor. And the governor gave their family an exception. And they ended up staying in Gaza and ministering for 10 more years because they fasted and they prayed. In Ezra chapter 8, Ezra calls for a fast. And this is what he says. In order that we might humble ourselves before God and seek from him a safe journey for ourselves, our children, and all our goods. And God comes through. He's, he's fasting for his children. Do you have needs in your family? Are your children far from God? Fast, and God will come through for your family. There's another story. Uh, Renee's mom, when she was like two or three, got the German measles before the vaccine. And so she was about to die. And she said her health got so bad, her mom thought she was going to die. So again, her grandma uh, said, I'm going to fast, I'm going to pray. And within a day of starting her fast and prayer, her mom's health just turned around miraculously and God healed her. Fast for your family. Fast for the needs that are in your life. And there are other Old Testament examples. By the way, Moses fasts. Elijah fasts. Daniel fasts. And then we get to the New Testament. And of course, Jesus fasts. He inaugurates his ministry with 40 days of fasting. And he teaches on fasting. And Paul and the, and the other apostles fast. And the early church fasts. In Acts 13, we read uh, about a story where it says the church in Antioch was worshiping the Lord with prayer and fasting. And then guess what happens? The Holy Spirit spoke and said, set apart Paul and Barnabas for me for the work to which I've called them. And they embarked out on their first missionary journey and the world was never the same because they sought the Lord with fasting 
and with prayer. And the next chapter, Acts 14, Paul and Barnabas says they went back and visited all the churches they had planted, and it said they appointed elders with prayer and fasting. Y'all, we need to fast and pray, and, and we need to do that if we're going to be able to choose the leaders that God has for us and to raise up the leaders that God has for us in the church. If you're going to fulfill your mission, to be a gospel-centered family on mission, to make disciples who make disciples on campuses, in communities, and among the unreached people of the world, it's time to fast. Somebody say, it's time to fast. It's time to fast. And this practice continued on through the rest of church history and on to today. Our Christian family of faith has been fasting for thousands of years. Why? For all these reasons that we saw. To seek God. To ask for His help in their time of need. To express their hunger and their longing for Him and for His power to manifest and be at work in their lives. And just like it was good for them, it's good for you. Fasting is really good for you. It's good for you for a few reasons. The first one is this. It exposes in your heart all the junk that needs to be dealt with. All kinds of stuff comes to the surface when you start fasting. I mean, initially, when you start to feel the hunger pains, it's like, okay, maybe there's some gluttony there. Maybe I love food too much. And by the way, I just want to say, I've messed up on fasting more than I've done successful fasting. All right? I've had many fasts where I'm just like, I'm a few hours in, I'm like, Lord, you know my heart. I'm just, I'm digging in. And just, I'm being honest. Fasting can be, can be hard. And I'll talk about the difficulties of fasting in a second. But it's, 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 it's okay. All right. It's okay for you to fail on your way to learning how to obey and how to follow Jesus. But fasting is good for you. If you idolize food, it will show up. In fact, a lot of things will kind of come to the surface if you start fasting. Maybe some anger will come to the surface, irritability, you get hangry, moody, you know, maybe like just other sins will kind of start to come to the surface. And I just want to say, instead of giving into the impulse to numb the pain and quiet the pain by, you know, opening up a bottle, a can of like Ben and Jerry's or a bag of potato chips, Cape Cod is the best, or turning on Netflix, instead of numbing the pain by turning to the things that you're like fasting from and giving up for the Lord, allow those pains to point you to Jesus. Bring those pains to the cross and say like, Lord, here I am. Like this thing showed up. We need to deal with it. I need you to help me. It's also good for you uh, because it sharpens your affections for Jesus. If you're feeling stale or stuck in your faith, fasting can be a really good way to just clear your head and, and, and see clearly what you most want. And that is Jesus. To set aside some time to intentionally pursue the Lord with, with prayer and with fasting. And when your stomach kind of begins to grumble, to allow those grumblings in your stomach to to point you to God and to prompt you to pray for the things that you really want more than food. And if you're a Christian, there are things that you want more than food. You want more of God in your life. Somebody, amen. amen. And of course, fasting is good for you, just like anything that you do to obey God is good for you. All right, it brings honor to God and, and it brings glory to his name and it helps you look more like Christ who taught us in Matthew 6. And let's turn back to those verses. When you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces so that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their rewards. 
What is he saying here? He says, when you fast, don't make a show of it. Don't make a display of it. He says, the hypocrites, okay, they're making it look like they're fasting. They're more interested in looking like they're fasting than the actual fast. All right, and Jesus says, hey, if you want to be recognized by people, like, that's all you're going to get. And that's it. So Jesus is warning us, don't do it for show. Don't be showy about it. Although, if we're honest, I mean, how many of us are not seduced by the praise of man? How many of us don't like it when we're being recognized? And that's the pitfall that the Pharisees were falling into. And I think that's something that all of us can be just easily seduced into. Hey, oh man, Michael, he's such a man of God. Or Rebecca, like, she's such a prayer warrior. Oh, you're fasting? That's so great. I wish I was that self-disciplined. And it can kind of get to your head sometimes. And then you, like, lean into it and, and, and play to it, whether you're praying and then you, like, elaborate, make your prayer a little more elaborate or nice or longer or use bigger words or whatever. And we kind of give into that impulse where we want to be recognized and it feels good to be recognized by me. I mean, stupid example. Literally the other day, we were home. Renee was working in the living room. I was in my office. My door is open. One of my buddies called. Hey, like, I need you to pray for me. I'm like, sure. And, uh, and I knew full well Renee could hear me pray. And I was like, stood up, started pacing, started praying out loud. I'm like, who am I trying to impress? It's so dumb. It's so dumb. And Jesus says, look out for that. Don't do it just so that other people are like, oh, you're so godly. You're so great. This is about you and God. It's about you and God. Also of note here, Jesus does not give clearly laid out instructions on how to fast, when to fast, how often to fast, and I really appreciate that. It's, it's up to your own discretion. So I love this quote it's by J.C. Ryle, who was a bishop in Liverpool a couple hundred years ago. This is what he says. Fasting, or occasional abstinence from food, in order to bring the body into subjection to the spirit is a practice frequently mentioned in the Bible and generally in connection with prayer. With prayer. We saw that. David fasted when his child was sick. Daniel fasted when he saw special light from God. Paul and Barnabas fasted when they appointed elders. Esther fasted before going into the king. And it is a subject about which we find no direct command in the New Testament. That is true. It seems to be left to everyone's own discretion whether he will fast or not. There is great wisdom in this. Many a poor man has never enough to eat. Now, a couple hundred years ago, there was no McDonald's, there was no Taco Bell, there was no refrigerators. Uh, and it would be an insult to tell this poor man who doesn't have food to fast. Many a sickly person can hardly be kept well with the closest attention to diet and could not fast without bringing on illness. It is a matter in which everyone must be persuaded in his own mind and not be hasty to condemn others who do not agree with him. That is such a good word. One thing only must never be forgotten. Those who fast should do it quietly, secretly, and without ostentation, without being pretentious, without being showy. Let them not fast to man, but to God. So, get this. While Jesus expects that his disciples will fast, he's less concerned about how often and how long and how frequently. And he's more concerned about your heart's posture toward God. He says, let this be between you and God. And that's why the next verse, right, in verse 17, he says, But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. He says, when you're fasting, don't make it look like you're fasting. All right? Don't announce it to everybody. Definitely don't post about it. 
and, and talk about how hard it is. Like, let's just, let's just not complain about how hard fasting is, all right? Being stuck in sin is hard. Fasting is not hard. Living with chronic pain is hard. Fasting is not hard. Having someone you really love and care about far from God and on their way to hell is hard. Fasting is not hard. Being stuck and struggling in your marriage for years is hard. Fasting is not hard. Let's not complain about how hard fasting is. And besides, what if you were just one skipped meal away from a greater intimacy with God? Isn't that what you really want? What if you were just one fast away from breakthrough or from an answered prayer in your life? That's what you want more than food. So let's not complain about how hard it is. Let's not post about it. Wash your face, dress nicely, brush your teeth, have a breath mint. Because when you fast from food and you're just drinking water, your breath stinks. Okay, I mean, that's, that's one way. Hey, everybody, I'm fasting. Just dress nicely, brush your teeth, have, have a piece of gum. Now, I want to ask, like, does this mean that nobody could ever know that you're fasting? Like, is my fast spoiled just because somebody knew that I was fasting and it's kind of just lost all its value now? Absolutely not. In Acts 13, the entire church in Antioch were all fasting in prayer. So they must have been seen and seen each other while they were fasting. And Jesus is warning, though, in Matthew chapter 6 at the very beginning on fasting, prayer, and giving. It says, beware of practicing your righteousness before people in order to be seen by them. All right, that's the point. For then you'll have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Being seen fasting and fasting to be seen are not the same thing. So he says, it's okay to be seen fasting, but don't fast to be seen. In fact, like people closest to you will probably need to know, okay? Especially if you're gonna, you know, not join them for a meal that you regularly have together. Or if you're fasting with people, like your community group or your church or a friend over something, like other people will know that you're fasting. The important thing is God This is between me and you. I'm doing this for you. I'm seeking something specific from you. And I'm not trying to impress people. I don't care about the praise of people. I care about the power of God. I want the hand of God to move in my life. That is what's most important. And just like I won't make a show of my prayer and my giving, I won't make a show of my fasting, even if I'm fasting with other people who know and we're all fasting together. And then the passage concludes with this in verse 18. And your father who sees in secret, will reward you. Somebody say, will reward you. And we kind of already saw how God rewards, right? God floods our world with grace and mercy. He floods your heart with his light and his joy and peace. He rewards you by giving you more of himself, experientially speaking, a deeper intimacy with God. And of course, he rewards us by answering our prayers, by providing miraculously so that his name is praised. He rewards us by saving and healing and hearing our prayers and bringing deliverance and and allowing his power to come to bear on our lives for the glory of his name. Hebrews 13 tells us that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he never changes. And the things that he's done in the past, he is willing and able to do them today if we seek him as he has told us to seek him. And then Hebrews 11 says that God is a rewarder of those who seek him. God 
rewards, and he's pleased to reward. And that is mentioned here to motivate us to seek him for that reward. There's nothing anti-Christian about that. Your father who sees in secret will reward you. But why does he reward? Why does he reward? I was really helped by John Piper. I'm going to just quote this one line. It's in, in the end of his book, Hunger for God, which is about fasting. This is what he says. God is committed to rewarding those acts of the human heart that signify human helplessness and hope in God. God is committed to rewarding those acts of the human heart that signify human helplessness and hope in God. Here it is. This is the thread that you've seen all over Scripture. The brother of our Lord, James and Peter, say the same thing. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And the Sermon on the Mount starts with, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Those who realize that they are destitute and bankrupt and that they need God. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, who hunger and thirst for God and the things of God. He says, blessed are the meek, those who are humble. And humility says, God, I can't, but you can. God, I don't have in me what it takes for this thing that I'm facing, but you do. God, I'm not relying on my own power or my own strength. I'm relying on you. You are my ultimate source of joy and hope and peace and power. The humble throw themselves on God's mercy and grace with faith and with expectation because they realize that they need God. And in making much of God as our only source of power and as our only hope, God is glorified. And that's exactly what God wants. And fasting is one way that we humble ourselves. I don't know if you caught it earlier, that verse in Ezra. Ezra declares a fast. He says that we might humble ourselves before God. Fasting is one of the ways that we humble ourselves and express our need and hunger and desire and longing and utter reliance and dependence on God. And when the world sees us delighting in God, as our joy and as our strength and as our power, when the world sees us declaring by our prayer and fasting that Jesus is our treasure and our help, God gets the glory. I want to leave you with just six practical tips to get started with fasting, all right? And these come from David Mathis, who wrote one of my favorite books on spiritual disciplines. It's a really short book. It's called Habits of Grace. It's actually free online on the Desiring God website if you want to Check it out. And here's what he says. The first point is start small. All right, somebody say start small. Uh, it's okay to start small. I've, I've ventured on lots of big fasts before, and like by 5 p.m., I'm like, I need to rethink that. So just start small. Uh, maybe just skip one meal and spend that time in prayer. Uh, and if you've fasted in the past, maybe just, you know, try, try one day and then try two days. But just start small. And always drink lots of water. All right. I, if you're going to fast, you need to drink lots of water. All right. I just, just promise me right now. Okay. You're going to drink lots of water when you fast. Okay. When you fast, not if you fast. Second point, 
Plan what you'll do instead of fasting. Okay? Fasting is a spiritual discipline for seeking more of the fullness of God. And so maybe have a playlist of some worship songs that you're going to sing out loud with. Maybe have a piece of scripture that you're going to meditate on. Maybe have a cause that you are fasting for. Just a target. I'm going to pray for this person. I, I said earlier, last week, Renee said to me, hey, my friend's going to see the doctor. Let's take a day and, and fast and pray for her. Like, yes, let's do it. So just have a plan for what you're going to fast for. Ask, hey, what's my purpose in this fast? Thirdly, consider how it will affect other people. And this is really important because fasting is not a license to be mean or rude to the people around you as you seek God. Okay, that's unacceptable. Okay, love for God and love for neighbor always go hand in hand. All right, so just have a plan. If you have people that you meet regularly with for meals, whether it's family or roommates, just let them know. Give them a heads up. Uh, don't be rude about it. Don't let somebody, you know, prepare a meal for you and then just spring it up on them at the dinner table. Okay, just be thoughtful. And by the way, if you do have some kind of a meal scheduled and it gets canceled last minute and you find yourself alone for a meal, consider that an invitation to, you know, just an impromptu fast for, for a meal. Okay, point number four. Try different kinds of fasting. And what I mean by this, there's you know, a personal fast, a private fast, a partial fast. But you can also fast with other people. You can rally around someone and fast and pray for them. You can rally around a cause and fast and pray for that. If you've tried you know, one meal a day fasting, then try water-only fasting. If you've only tried water-only fasting, try one meal a day fasting. For the last several years, the collegiate ministry that I work with, we set apart a week in August to fast and pray as we see God for the, the fall semester. And God always comes through. God always comes through. And usually that type of fast is a one meal a day fast. We fast breakfast and lunch, and then we just break fast together at dinner. But consider, uh, sorry, try different kinds of fasting. Fifthly, fast from something other than food, okay? Especially if you cannot forego food, all right? Try something else. And also, if you can fast from food, consider fasting from something else, whether it's electronic entertainment or some hobby or habit that takes a lot of your time and attention. And then sixth point, and the most important one, is fix your thoughts on Jesus. Fix your thoughts on Jesus. When your empty stomach starts to growl, don't be content to just let your thoughts wander about what you're going to have tonight for dinner when your fast ends or start watching the, the food channel, if anybody watches food channel, or like wherever you watch your you know, recipes on YouTube or Instagram, don't let your mind, don't be content to just let your mind go there. Intentionally fix your thoughts on Jesus. Uh, I love how David Mathis puts it here in, in his book. He says, Christian fasting turns its attention to Jesus or some great cause of his in the world. Christian fasting seeks to take the pains of hunger and transpose them into the key of some eternal anthem. Whether it's fighting against some sin or pleading for someone's salvation or for the cause of the unborn or longing for a greater taste of Jesus. My brothers and sisters, anybody in this room longing for a greater taste of Jesus? It's time to fast. Is there anybody here fighting against some sin? It's time to fast. Is there anybody here pleading for someone's salvation? It's time to fast. I'm so thankful. My, my mom and her mom fasted and prayed for me and my brother to come to faith in Jesus. And I'm so thankful. Every time they skipped a meal, they were storing up prayers in heaven for God to save me. And he did. Do you need direction? Do you need 
vision? Do you need uh, discernment? Do you need healing? It's time to fast. Do you want to see Jesus' name be made much of in Amherst? Do you want to see his gospel advance through your life? Do you want to see his justice and righteousness triumph in our nation? You need to fast. So let me just tell you, if you are hungry for more of God in your life, if you're hungry for more of God in your life and for more of his power in your life, then put aside food for a while and seek God. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Some of you are just one fast away from breakthrough and from answered prayers. It's time to fast. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Your father who sees in secret will reward you. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the gift of food. Thank you for times of feasting in our lives. And Lord, thank you for the gift of fasting, for times where we get to seek you more intentionally and obey you and honor you by setting aside food to seek you. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room. Lord, I know that in, in the last 40-something minutes, you have, you have stirred some desires in our hearts, and, and you have brought people's faces to mind that we need to fast and pray for their salvation or their deliverance or their healing. God, I pray that while conviction is hot in our hearts, you would help us act quickly. You would help us put a plan. I pray, God, that today people in this room would say, hey, would you pray and fast with me for this thing, for this need? And Lord, would you be pleased to just pour out your abundant goodness and grace and mercy over this house, over this congregation, and over every family that's represented here. We love you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.